Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to episode 121 of Habs Unfiltered. The gang's all here. I'm your host, Blaine Pudvay, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith. Afternoon. And Treg the Hammer Wilson. How's it going? Well, it's nice to see you back. Uh, you were gone uh, You were gone away for a couple of episodes there, and the fans noticed your absence. Because I think the numbers went up. Probably. <laughs> it was more Matt more of the time so ratings go up well so, it was nice while it lasted <laughs> yeah um so it's i don't i don't think there's gonna be much talk about this episode we'll just kind of shoot the breeze a little bit uh nothing well. happened no not a thing there were there were no major changes and no losses no you know things no, are pretty pretty much status feel. quo yeah oh yeah yeah uh, so if you've been living under a rock for the last week, the Canadians just lost a two-game set to the Ottawa Senators, albeit 
two overtime losses. Um, so the Canadians technically are still unbeaten in regulation while on the road. However, that did not save Claude Julien's job. He is now unemployed, but being paid $5 million a year to do so. And Dominic Ducharme, the former assistant, is now the head coach. We will get into that in our final segment of this episode, but what we're going to start with today is the two games set against the Ottawa Senators. Um, we'll start with you, Treg. What did you see in those games that made you cringe more than anything else you've cringed at in the last couple of days? Because that was some bad hockey. Uh, I just don't think the uh, players were... How can I put this? I just don't think they were into the games. I think uh, I think Claude Julian lost the room. Uh, Weber had said, what a week ago now, maybe three, five days ago, that uh, there's a bad negative, there's a a negativity around the room and on the bench. <clears throat> and I think coming from a leader like that, that's kind of saying, you know, there's something not right here. Um. I found it very reminiscent and uh, correct me if I'm wrong of the last few games of Michael Terrian's uh, reign at Mon- uh, with the Montreal Canadiens here in first place at the time. Uh, but you could tell that Terrian lost the room and I don't want to say players give up or they throw games. I, I'm not saying that's what happened, but I don't think, the effort didn't seem to be there. Uh, again, I'm not saying that I, I would never say teams do think that on purpose. I just think uh, you get into a routine that you're not happy with and you just, I mean, we've all done it. You just don't put the effort into it that you would normally put into it if you're enjoying what you were doing. And I, I think the games against Ottawa, I think the only reason it went to overtime is because it was Ottawa. Uh, any other team in Montreal would have been smoked right out of the right out of the water. Wouldn't even be close. Um, so we should take the two points. Say we're lucky, and hopefully things change against. Win- we have four games in the next seven nights against Winnipeg or something like that, and that's going to. I that's pretty much to me going to be the season right there because we're battling Calgary now for a playoff spot. So. Uh, but yeah, I just cringed at the fact that the players just didn't seem to want to, they didn't put the effort into it. It wasn't the yeah. same as, you know, Montreal plays down to the team. It was more of a, there just wasn't an effort at all. Now I, I saw, I, I don't, I don't think it was an effort issue per se. Like they were still putting in some effort. It just seemed that they lacked that second effort that they were getting in the first part of the season where if they were, they were caught like a foot behind a play, they would put their head down and just motor back. But in this case, it didn't seem they had that. And they were a little sloppy, especially in their zone coverages. Um, like, for instance, the first goal that Ottawa scored in that second game, where Kulak disengaged during the three-on-two and went to go cover the puck carrier with Romanov. His expectation when he was looking up is that Katkanyemi is going to come down and cover that man swooping in. He didn't, so Katkanyemi didn't read that play properly. Kulak didn't notice that that KK was going to be a little off on that because he was 
a little bit further behind the play than he would have liked to have been to be able to make that coverage a possibility. So that's a misread on KK's part. It's a misread on Kulak's part in two ways. And that led to a goal. So it's those little, those little errors where they're just a little bit behind the play where at the beginning of the season, they wouldn't be as far behind and they'd be able to make up that ground with that little second effort, but they just didn't have that the last eight, nine, 10 games. Um, the forecheck, the aggressive attacking, relentless forecheck. We have not seen that uh, since the first loss to Ottawa. After that loss, it looked as though Julian kind of pulled the reins in a little bit on that, uh, that more offensive style. So things started to go downhill from there, really. And <clears throat> that last game against Ottawa, we saw, we saw the fruits of that. Is there, was, there was no inspiration. There was no desire. Uh, now, Matt, what did you see? So I saw the same. I, I a little bit of both of what you guys are saying. Um, I did see a team that didn't seem to have that next level of drive that they had at the start of the year. And as you said, um, when a play was lost, it was lost. There wasn't there wasn't that second effort to get back into it. Uh, defensive play was very 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 sloppy. And um, Carey Price, up till that last goal that he allowed. Um, he made some very big saves to keep this team in the lead or not in the lead in the game uh, to be able to give them an opportunity to at least pick up a point, which they did. Um, first, first game, Jake Allen just lights out, just yeah. breakaways and uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in overtime gave them the opportunity to win and all three goals that went in on him, every one of them, a favorable, a favorable bounce. And uh, I felt really bad for him. And um, every every game that Allen has played this year, he's given the team a chance to win. And um, that's not just, you know, that's not just because um, he was given um, lesser competition or anything like that. Through seven games this year, he's got a 932 save percentage. And we talked about the importance of some of these players coming in, like Josh Anderson, providing that goal scoring and physicality or to Foley. Um, but for me, it's been Jake Allen the whole time. I think he's really been the um, most important piece to this team with the new additions um, for the game itself. Um, the Canadians had chances to win both of those games. They hit some posts, they hit, some, you know, they, uh, they didn't get some calls to go their way, but at the end of the day, this isn't the same team as we saw at the start of the season and if it was, we'd probably be talking about um, two wins, let alone two uh, two overtime loss or an overtime loss and a shootout loss. Um, the one thing that really bothers me is that they still haven't fixed their three on three play. They just can't get over that, and they've got a team that is built on the back end to be a big, brutish, hard hitting, defend type um, uh, core. They're not a jump up in the rush, dangle through defenders, lead the offense type core. They've got guys that can that can score, but they don't have those guys to run the play other than, say, a guy like Petrie. And we see that usually when three on three starts, he's the first guy on the ice. Then they have to go and kind of dip in and say, OK, well, we'll put in Sherratt. 
or we'll put in Romanov or we'll put in whoever. What I would like to see, and I've brought this up in the past, if they are so, and and it's hard to say what's going to happen now with the new coaching staff, but what I would like to see is if you're going to use these more defensive players, especially your forwards, guys like Deneau, guys like Armia, Lekkanen, et cetera, if, when Lekkanen gets back in the lineup, use these guys as third forwards on the ice, play them back in the defensive zone. Then you've got guys that can drive the play, that have the speed, and then you've got, say, Deneau out there, win the faceoff. From there, you back off a little bit and let guys with a little bit more offensive flair, like say a Tatar or Drouin, whatever to be up in the play. And for the love of God, give Kakaniemi a chance in overtime and in a shootout. We see all these videos that the Canadians come out with and it's, um, you know, these, uh, these pretty moves that they're doing. And I'm saying like, obviously this isn't always going to happen in a game. However, shootout is nothing more than a skills competition. And if Kakaniemi and Suzuki have the skill to perform these moves, I'm not going to say they're going to do those exact moves in a shootout, but the skill is there. Give them the opportunity to give them the opportunity to shine. They're not going to learn if they if they don't have the opportunity to to be on the ice and to, and to get that opportunity when it matters most. I think the issue with the three on three is Julian just puts the wrong people out. Julian plays not to lose, not he doesn't play to win. He he said so himself. Uh, we're going to get into that later, but uh, for me, three on three, it's it's easy. You go with your fastest and your high skilled players. You've already got the loser point. You know, it, it's you're there to win it. Overtime, you're there to win. You're not there to hope you don't lose by putting Deneau, Weber, Sherratt, Byron. I mean, Byron's not bad in three on three, but Lekin and guys like that. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Lekin or Deneau, but they're not, they're not three on three players. They're, they're the guys you put in the last two minutes of a game of a one goal lead or a two goal lead. They're not the players you put in. A three See, I don't three mind. I don't mind taking a guy like Deneau, letting him win the defensive face off. You bring it back to your defender and then you go up the ice and you make the change as needed, bring on the offense. Sure. But we, but we, but we haven't seen <clears throat> that it's, you know, double shifting to know or bringing Sherado and him being on the ice way, way, way too long. Right. And if you go back to the defense, the reason the offense was the way it was at the first of the season is that defense were engaged in the offense. Kulak yeah. uh, Edmondson was even pinching in. Uh, That's right. Even the defensive guys that we were talking about, they were moving the puck into the zone and, rushing the play or, or, or leading the play Petrie leading the way, of course. Yes. Uh, and then they got away from that. Then they got to only Petrie was pinching in and everybody else was backing up. Yeah. Uh, and to the point where Romanov's starting to look pretty bad because he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So, I, I think that's the issue with him. So I noticed that in the last game, there was a few times the puck came across to him and whether he was going to accept a pass or he was going to do a one timer, he just kind of let it walk, go right by him. He doesn't and, know what to do. And I feel that um, a lot of the deficiencies we're seeing, especially on the bottom pair, have to do with the change that was more or less forced on Bergevin with um, with Mete having to come into the lineup after his agent talked. Uh, I've noticed that Kulak has been a shadow of the player that he was. 
and he's not driving it up into the play. He's not going to the net. He's not really himself. And Romanov has been the same way since they've been taken out of the lineup because they know, well, if I fuck up, I'm probably going to be the one that's going to be in the press box. I'm going to actually defend Mete a little bit here, but uh, yeah, I get what you're saying on that, Matt, where, you know, they're taking these guys out for Mete to get playing time, but Mete's going to have to get playing time regardless. He will. Just, he just will. Because of the, uh, I think it's more of a, going back to what Weber said about the negativity in the room. I think players, especially a young guy like Romanov, or a guy like Kulak, and you're right, it does have something to do with sitting. They're just afraid to make a mistake. That's true, because right? they know they know because, what's, what's going to happen. Exactly, and so Mete was going to get in games. It's not going to matter. Like yeah. He's played, I mean, what, four games now? But For, yeah. for me, it was the timing okay. of it. Yeah. It wasn't the fact that player X played bad and we took him out. It was the fact that an agent spoke up and said, well – my client wants this. And then it was, they kind of forced their hand. Mm. So that's all, that's all I'll say about that. Like, it's just, it wasn't the right timing and uh, we'll see under a new coaching staff. We'll see the, these new uh, we'll see these new um, processes put into place and maybe these players are going to get back to um, yeah. driving we'll the offense. In, right? We'll get into that more later yeah, in the segment uh, to finish off on the Ottawa series and a little bit of what led to this uh i'm gonna put it out there carrie price he's been jekyll and hyde yeah in that last game there was a uh, he he let in a couple of really just horrible goals but in that second period when they were down on a five on three and, and throughout that period he stood on his head he was unbelievable he was making big saves and then he lets in for instance that tying goal uh, by by Kachuk, yep. the four four goal, the backhand when he's kind of on the post, not quite through his legs, that is a horrible goal to give up. Not only is it a bad goal because he was out of place, misread it. Uh, you name name the pick your poison on that one, but the timing of that goal, they had just battled back after a horrible first period, clawed their way back into the game, took a lead. Tofoli had just scored. What was it about three minutes before? To give if Montreal that, the lead, that, yeah. yeah so, giving up such a terrible goal at such a horrible time that you can tell it deflated them a little bit. Yeah, and so, in a game that Jonathan Drouin scored, right? The only reason he scored is he had no one to pass it to. But I li- yeah. like, I like the fact that Drouin scored, and I hope that's going to be a boost to his confidence. Uh, Drouin's been one of the best forwards in this whole slump. Yeah, he has. On yeah, both sides of the ice, the 200-foot yeah. game, he's been just, for Druin, it's been amazing. For yeah. Druin. Don't. I'm hoping to see a few more shots, though, so I can take a couple more drinks. You guys probably saw that tweet. Yeah. And I'm yeah. hoping that, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that it's just going to lead to good things. And having someone like Ducharme that's coached him in the past, maybe will open up a new part of his game. We'll see. Well, more sh- if you shoot more, it would open up more passing lanes to take yeah. advantage of his playmaking ability. Yeah. And before anyone gets too upset, any of our listeners, please remember that a goal and an assist both equal one point. And if he gets an assist, that means somebody else scored a goal. Because which of is him. <laughs> because of him. And, and that it that's the goal of the you know for the team is to get that's a right. goal. I honestly I could care less which one of the three on the ice on his line score the goal. 
It could be any, it could be him. It could be Anderson. It could be Suzuki. But if all three have a hand in creating that goal, all the better. Yeah. Somebody did something right. They did something right or got lucky. Either way. I don't care. The puck went in the other team's net. That's right. Um, so I think, I think we kind of killed that, uh, that Ottawa series. Speaking of pucks going in nets. <laughs> oh God. You're going to talk about the Yolonen goal in uh, Laval? Is that what um, we can, we can bring that one up. Uh, I kind of felt bad for Demchenko, but you know, good for yeah. Yolonen to score his first goal. just against the wrong team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he loves that. We're bringing that up. Yeah, of course. Because we know he's listening. Oh, of course he's yeah, 100%, 100%. Listening. I mean, he's one of our most avid listeners. But uh, in that Ottawa game, something did come up. So I'm going to just play us a little something, something to ease us in. Still searching for an explanation that makes sense. Um, we sit down start of every season. We sit down at the start of every season. And the NHL prepares a video for us. The referees see the exact same video. We've seen clips. Um, there was a clip last year, a New York Islander player uh, bumped Anderson in Toronto. Um, Anderson had time to reset. The puck went in. Goal counted. This play, I'm knocked on my ass. I have time to reset. Can't tell me the goalie doesn't have time to reset. The other explanation I got, okay, I'm in the blue paint. I'm working my way out of the blue paint. We've seen in that same video, plenty of plenty of examples where the player's working his way out. He's pushed into the goalie. Goal counter. We, we watch this video. The rest watch this video. For some reason, this one, this example is different. I don't know why. Um, to me, it, uh, it's ruining the product. I don't know. We need consistency. And and for us to, to, you know, the guys battled hard. We didn't have the start we wanted. The guys battled very hard to come back. Thought they deserved a better fate than that. It's very disappointing um, the way that that was decided. So that was uh, Brendan Gallagher talking about the disallowed goal. Um, yeah, it, I swear to God, they have interns in that office that just sit there and flip a damn coin. Heads, oh, home team call. Tails, oh, road team call. There is no consistency in the goal in, the goalie interference calls. We saw it in the, a couple games before where they disallowed a goal by Kotniemi uh, or you could say Armia. Either way, we, they scored on Toronto. They called it back. And literally an hour later, the ex, almost the exact same scenario comes into play. In that case, with uh, Calgary scoring a goal against Edmonton, Kachuk ran into the goalie. But as he was running into the goalie, Nurse started pushing him in. So the, they called that, um, the, it wasn't goalie interference because Nurse pushed Kachuk in. Now in this, in this goal, in this case, the Gallagher goal against Ottawa, Gallagher was coming in from behind the net. Zaitsev pushes Gallagher into Murray. <clears throat> Gallagher gets up, starts getting his way out of the blue paint. He gets knocked down a second time while Murray is still recovering. Gallagher throws the defender off of him, gets up, tracks the puck going from point to point, tips the puck. Had Gallagher not tipped that puck, Murray was already up, recovered, 
and in position to stop that shot. Had Gallagher not tipped it, it would have been a save. So I can understand Gallagher's frustration. He was pushed. He worked his way out. He reset himself. The only reason it's a goal is because he tipped it. Murray was set. But it, it didn't count. And I, I know people can argue, well, that's why Julian ended up being fired, but that's not the case. We'll get into that later. But the consistency in that call, the fact that Gallagher was pushed in twice, and then they still call it back, goes against the call uh, the, the call they made on the last goal that they call, uh, that they had to review between Calgary and Edmonton. So what is it? What is goalie interference? If anybody knows, dear God, please tell us because the NHL doesn't seem to know. Drag, what did you what did you think of that whole fiasco? Uh <clears throat> I thought it was a good goal. Like uh even if it was goalie interference, it was very minor. I think his skate might have hit him in the pad or something when he was getting pushed through. Uh, I guess the only argument you can make was Gallagher didn't put that much effort to get out of the stay out of the blue paint. Um, but I don't think any player would in that situation. Uh, overdrive, uh, Jamie McLennan on overdrive today. He disagreed. He d- doesn't think it was a, he, he thinks it was a goal himself. And he brought up a good point. Why did Murray do a 360 in the crease when he, when he, when he got up, like why he had enough time to do a 360 in the crease. And it wasn't the fact that he wasn't set. He just didn't know where the puck was. So being set and not knowing where the puck is, is two different, totally different things. You can be set and not know where the puck is. Lindgren does it all the time. Right. (laughs) Uh, But, um, and like Gallagher said, he had enough time to fall to the ice, try to get back up, and then have some guy do a flying elbow, uh, macho man Randy Savage elbow on his head, then get up, set a position, see where the puck is, and tip it in. And Murray just kind of – now, I'm going to say something else that's kind of a counterpoint to that, that PJ Stock said. Take whatever you want from what he says, but um, – um <laughs> <laughs> yeah take those headphones off you don't want to hear this crap uh anyway mclean mclennan said there was no way that that he wasn't set there was no way it's not his it's not if the nhl is going to sit there and say that that goalie has to be in his set position and know exactly where the puck is then they have to come out and say that right the problem with the the nhl and it's the same thing with headshots is there's no clear definition of exactly what anything is. And it's all a matter of opinion. And, and he said today, he said, what if this is a game seven of a Stanley cup final? And now you're making that call a matter of the opinion of whoever's taking it in the war room in Toronto. It's his opinion that that was in inter- goalie or his opinion that the goalie wasn't set. How long does it take for a goalie? How long does a goalie have to get set? Is there a set time? Like if the goalie's set with, does he have to be set within five seconds? Is it 10 seconds? Does he have Is 30 seconds? Is that person seconds? making the decision a former NHL goalie? Is he, it, it doesn't matter, but 
There's a lot of all, things you can ask in that situation. There's, there's a lot of things you can ask that situation. Yeah. I mean, now PJ Stock thought it was a no goal, but PJ Stock hates the Canadians, so it doesn't really matter. But and the reason he sure. said it was a was a no goal because he said uh, uh, Murray didn't have time. It's his paint. It's his blue paint. And he should have the option. And he kind of makes a good point. It is the goalie's blue paint. But Gallagher made every effort to get out of it. After he got pushed and went down, he did not try to interfere with the goalie or touch the goalie or back into the goalie or bump the goalie. He just tried to get up and find out where the puck was so he can do what he can to tip it in. And uh, so what uh, PJ, he just went on about how and, – and, uh, Jeff O'Neill uh, disagreed with him. He's on the, it should be a goal side. And, uh, and PJ stock was just saying like, that's a no goal. The goalie couldn't set up, you know, has to go up. And that's when McClendon said, well, how much time does he have? Like, you know, like it all comes down to the point of if Carey price now, if someone bumps into Carey price, can he just flounder around? No, and then if they score matter. a goal, then if he scores a goal, can he say, well, I wasn't set. That's not a goal. I wasn't set. I mean, we can yeah. point to that that legendary Kreider play where Kreider literally, Dragged literally him pulls him out of the net with his arms flailing as another player shoots and scores. I think it was Jesper Foss. Just walks in, shoots in the open net. That was a goal. That wasn't goalie interference. But the point uh-huh. I'm making is, and it's and this really isn't about goalie interference. It's about whether or not the goalie was set for the shot, which I guess is part of goalie interference. But the interference had already happened. If there was interference, it was done and over with by the time the goal, the two goals went in because two goals were scored. Um, yeah. But that, this, this, that's my point. Like, go back to the, the poked in goals with the, uh, there's a loose puck in the pads of Anderson. Caught in the enemy, pushes at the puck. His part of his stick happens to get Anderson and he slides in. Yeah. So what's the referee, as soon as that puck is loose in the blue paint, should call the play dead. If that's the case, as soon as the puck is loose in the blue crease, the play is dead. One way to get rid of this crap is do that. Another is to just call penalties anytime a player puts a toe in the blue paint. And then we you, go back to what, the 1999 Stanley Cup final, Stanley Cup final, the toe in the paint goal. Well, it's not even, it's not even that there's a lot of people that are saying like, do what they do internationally. And if there's people that are in the blue paint, you blow the play and it's a face off. Yeah. Right. But I, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want that though. I like seeing the battles in front of the net, you know, I, I like, I like that kind wants. of stuff. Right. And that, and, and I, 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 I agree, but you can't have one game. This goal counts. Yeah. That's right. And and then two games later, the same play, the goal doesn't count. Yeah. Where yeah. what's your you know, like and and I think it was brought up on Twitter, I forget who, but they just said, All right, so if the puck is loose anywhere near the goalie in the blue paint, blow it down because obviously if you go to play the puck and you touch the goalie, it's either interference or you're pushing the goalie in the net. Yeah. Because Anderson never parts. even had the puck. Anderson no, didn't have the parts puck. in his direction. Does he go full Mike Smith and flop down? But so, it, the war room needs to be fixed, and that, that's the problem. Either they need concrete to the point rules on every single play, or 
you stop making those calls to the war room and yet the referees decide it. That's what I think should happen. Personally. A set standard. A set standard needs to be made. A clear, clear cut language needs to be written down. Yeah. Because it, it's all right now, it's all interpretation of whoever answers the phone in the war room. Or yeah. whatever the, is it heads or tails? Who's the home team? Yeah. Okay. Uh, home team is Edmonton. Oh, sorry, Edmonton. The goal of the goal stands. Yeah. So for me, the, you know, we had some different, um, media come out and say something you brought up jeff o'neill so jeff o'neill said bizarre call in ottawa or bizarre call in montreal how long are you going to give the goalie to reset and completely agree with that uh david amber said that said prior to the goal being disallowed that that should count murray had time to regroup and then added don't agree with that had enough time to reset okay dave hodge said should gallagher have received a penalty no Thus, should Gallagher's goal have counted? Yes. And I am, the thing that I'm taking out of Gallagher's quote is this. He says, I get knocked on my ass. I have time to reset. You can't tell me the goalie doesn't have time to reset. And that's, that's just playing over in my head. And it, it, it pisses you off. And would that have changed anything that happened today? I don't think so. But it would have given the team just that extra, you know, extra, you know, extra confidence that they, that they, that they very well need. And we know that they need that. It's uh, you know, you battle back, you win a game in the final couple seconds, whether it was um, Gallagher tipping it by, or even if that wouldn't have went in and, you know, uh, Dino would have uh, knocked it in the net. You, you saw you saw Deneau's reaction when he thought he scored. It was like, oh, my God, I finally scored a goal. And just think of what that would have done for his confidence. So, so here's my question. If Gallagher's goal didn't go in, but Deneau's goal did go in, are we arguing the same thing? More than likely. Probably more than likely. Like, you know what I mean? Because you're, you're looking at another – Two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Two to three seconds after. Well, I'm going to say two wasn't that long, but and, you know, the players like, didn't know right away that it went in the net either. Everyone stopped playing. Yeah. Murray looked over at the referee like this. He wasn't even looking at the play. He was looking over at the referee like this when yeah. Dano was putting it in the net. So if Proving he that he knew where the puck was. Yeah. But he, he, but he did, but he didn't have time to reset. So that's why. No, well, he had time <laughs> enough to reset to complain to the referee. That's right. Right. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I do think that there would have still have been part of some grand review and callback. The worst part about it is no one from the NHL responds. No one comes back and says, Hey, nope. we messed up on this. We're going to review this play for, so in the future we make it better. No one, no, no one says anything. There's no There's accountability. No accountability. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that's, we don't call that a headshot. Well, everyone in the world thinks it's a headshot. Oh, well. Yeah, it was less oh. than 50% of the head was yeah. contacted. So, eh, not a headshot. Or, yeah. or, oh, he pushed that goal in. Nah, no goal. He pushed that goal in. Yeah, that is a goal. Well, why? Nah, we don't have to. doesn't matter. Reason yeah, we don't have to justify it. Yeah. 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 So, at what, because of that lack of accountability, especially publicly for these off-ice officials, I mean, the on-ice officials, there's still some accountability issues, but at least you know who they are. They're, they're not a faceless, 
nameless entity, this Toronto war room. You don't know who it is. It, it could just be a giant group of interns hired off the street in, Ottawa, in uh, Toronto and thrown, into, uh, thrown in there. Oh, hey, you guys in uh, Leaf Square, come on, drop your beers. Let's go do this. Like, we don't Chris know. Lee, Chris Lee on Zoom on his day off or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, in, in, in the National Lacrosse League, there is a third referee in the, in the penalty box area. Yeah. He does the review of the goals at the game with the two referees that are there. So maybe the NHL should go to something like that, have a five referee system. And the yeah. fifth referee is the review guy. And they, all the referees, including the linesmen, I guess, sit and talk about it. Well, then they make the decision. That, that would be a good idea. Personally, to me, I think that would be a great idea. And that way it stays in-house. It's an impartial, well, referees are supposed to be impartial, although that's debatable. Uh, it's an impartial group. It's done by the guys that are actually there. So that, and it's done by a guy that's sitting there who actually saw the play live as well. So they can look at the video review and do it. It's not some so, and and it could bypass this this garbage two review system that they had in Montreal, where the first review was reviewing whether or not across the line, ignoring any interference or no interference, and then doing a second review just yeah. to review the goal again. Yeah, and it, it just kills it kills the momentum of the game too. We we've seen these we've seen these um, like the the one that used to kill me. It's gotten a little bit better now. Was offside. Yeah. And it was like, was it offside? Wasn't it offside? Let's talk about it for 10 minutes. Let's slow the game down. Let's kill all the momentum that that team just got for scoring or not scoring that goal. And then, oh, well, you know, the the play's been under, you know, it's been going back and forth for a while. So let's just rewind the clock like two and a half minutes. That's the shit that I hate. I, yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to review a goal, it should be, we're reviewing this, 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 and this. Yep. Not, we're going to review this. And then the coach goes, oh, wait a minute. I want you to review this. So why doesn't Julian go, oh, wait a minute. I want you to review this from 10 minutes ago. I think 10 minutes ago, they might have been offside. So that would have stopped the game and changed the whole. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yep. Like, if you're going to review a goal, review it once. If you pick up anything on that review that's not right, come yep. back and say, we're Find not some- all right, find something that's going to yeah. give you a concrete reason why a decision when something's called a goal is going to be overturned. Yeah, like, all right, it, it did cross the line. However, you know what? This guy pushed the goalie in, causing the puck to cross the line. further review, no goal. goalie yeah. interference, or, yeah. good or goal, whatever. one or the other. Yeah. It's not like they're trained in this or anything. No. So on the accountability part, though, like, at, at what point does, does a, a team owner finally say, enough is enough because it's not it's not just the canadians let's let's be very clear it is every single team in the nhl there's been iffy calls especially in these goalie interference calls because nobody knows what the hell they are anymore this it's has been it's going on for years yeah it, it's been more than one it's more than one call it's dozens and dozens every single year for the last what five ten years so at what point does an owner say okay i've had it i'm calling the league and i'm going to say look we're giving, especially a team like the Montreal Canadiens, who are one of the top earners in the NHL, or the Leafs, <clears throat> or the Rangers, who are the absolute top earners. These are the top three financially viable teams who are kind of propping up your, your Sunbelt teams like Arizona. When does one of those owners call and say, we're, we're, 
we're done with this crap. You're stealing games from us. Our fans are the ones that put money in here. Start make start setting the standard and follow that standard. Like in Molson's case, his brewery is also the largest advertiser for the NHL, not just the Canadians, for the league. So, you know, you have to hit them in the pocketbook to make them set up the rules. I feel this is something that's going to have to come up at the GM meeting and in the owners meeting and just say, you know, give us some sort of answer just so we can tell our players what the real rule is. Exactly. Right. And then it's it's going to start, right. It's going to start at the top and then work its way down. That's how it's going to have to work. Cause if it's a goal, it's a goal. If it's not, it's not pick it, follow that. Let's go back to the eighties where everything was a goal. (laughs) Screw it. (laughs) Yeah. For a league that says we're trying to build across. We're trying to build offense. Let's, let's build offense. Yeah. Let's just, no matter how it goes across the line, it's a goal. Screw it. Or, hey, you go look again. I'll bring up the lacrosse. Go lacrosse. Go. No one's yeah. allowed in the crease, period. In a, in a conversation, use the international toes in the crease. Like it's no goal. Yeah. If toes in the crease, blow the whistle down. As soon as the person's in the crease, blow the whistle down and it's face off. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't like that for hockey anyway, but uh, it may come to that. It solves a lot of problems. It would. It would solve several problems. Um, and I would make the crease smaller if you're going to do that, but true, true. Uh, speaking of uh, problems, there's a lot of problems when guys try to uh, clean themselves up. Our sponsors at Manscaped have a solution for you. Hey, fellas, we're in the thick of winter and a storm's a brewing. It looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush that's taken place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of the ceramic blade and advanced skin safe technology, your snags on your snowballs will be reduced. The trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower or jacuzzi if you're some kind of a savage. Manscaped's Performance Package is the best buy of 2021. The Performance Package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, Weed Whacker Ear and Hair, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag. Have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? In fact, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Might as well use the best tools to do the job. This bundle also comes with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant that will make your balls smell nice and make you feel like your testes are walking in a winter wonderland. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will make your balls look up at you and say, thanks. Don't get cold feet this winter. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. They also have a ton of other amazing men's hygiene products on their website from disposal mats for your pubes to foot deodorant. 20% off 
with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. Thanks, Manscaped, for making our winter wieners look so good. And from trimming your manly area to trimming the fat away in a coaching staff, the Montreal Canadiens have fired Claude Julien and Kirk Muller and in their place have hired Dominic Ducharme as the interim head coach and have called up Alex Burroughs from the Laval Rocket and brought him up as an assistant coach in charge of the power play. So, guys, we'll start with you, uh, Treg. What do you make of this drastic change? I think it had to come. It's... uh, uh... Bergevin had to do it and he had to do it now because if this losing streak kept going, uh, then the, it's a 56 game season. Like you're not going to uh, recover from an eight game losing streak. We said this before the season started a five game losing streak. Habs have won two games in their last 10. So, you know, their first 10, they lost one. Uh, well, one in regulation. Um, so they went from seven, one, and two to two what two five and three or yeah two five and three i think there and uh that's just not acceptable and uh bergevin hit the nail on the head he said i saw some uh similarities to what was happening with the team from last year with the two eight game losing streaks and he knew he had to make i think win or lose the game they would have i think that was the last game for julian regardless i think Descharmes a, a good pick uh, this interim tag, I noticed people on social media uh, are reading into this. Uh, the interim tags there just uh, this is his it's his job to lose. Uh, so they're gonna put they're not gonna hire him and say, all right, he's here for the next three seasons. They're gonna say, all right, Dom, show us what you got. Uh, you have till the end of the season. I don't see two coaches being fired in the same year. So yeah, the tag um, also keeps them from having to negotiate a new contract. So correct. they don't have to pay him any more than they yeah. already are. So he's on, they just keep him <clears throat> under the current contract. And uh, I, I think that it, I think it was needed last year. I think Julian should have been let go last year. I wrote an article about it, uh, about the coaches that could replace him. Uh, Blaine, you just wrote a recent one there, but the same same thing, only updated. Um, and I wrote an article just be just the other day about uh, you know you can't waste your time on this losing streak. You can't let it sit. Uh, and Bergen pulled the trigger. I think this was something he was thinking about for a while. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think Julian lost the room. He lost the room and. Uh, once you do that, like we said before, the effort just isn't, well, the second effort just isn't there or the uh, the get up and go isn't there. Um, I'm really curious to see how well Price plays after this. Just, I'm not saying he, but those over, those shootout goals, the last two shoot, that last shootout goal was pretty, you know, he just kind of swung his hand at it and oh well, but anyway, that's, yeah. Now you, you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, Weber's co- uh, comment about negativity around the room and John Lou mentioned it today on his, uh, 
his uh, Habs minute, and he he mentioned that it's, it's kind of, in retrospect, it looks as though Weber was kind of shooting uh, shooting out to the world. There's an issue here, and people kind of missed out. The negativity around the room might have meant the coaching staff. So you mentioned my article. I wrote an article the day before the firing, uh, noting that, like you mentioned in yours, there's not a lot of time to ride through some kind of a losing streak. You can't have a long stretch of bad play. And that the time was pretty much up uh, for the Canadians to do something. Had they, had they won the game, and Bergevin mentioned it in the press conference in French, that the outcome of the game didn't matter. It's that he saw the same things from those eight-game losing streaks seeping back into their game in the last seven or eight games. And I mentioned that in, in my article, that the, the way they were playing was those kinds of games. And that a new coach would probably be needed to get a new voice, uh, a progressive voice, someone who uh, coaches in the new style. And Bergevin mentioned that. He mentioned that he wants that younger voice, that newer voice, those new systems, those progressive systems, uh, someone who's proven that they can work with the youth, proven that they can win in the lower levels uh, and, and mentor those young players while still cultivating a winning atmosphere. Uh, I mentioned Dominic Ducharme as my top pick for a couple of reasons. One, he knows the team. He's been there for three seasons. He knows the players. He knows what they're doing. He has an intimate knowledge of how they've been playing and what he would do. He has a plan in place already on what he would do. Also, he doesn't have to deal with a 14-day quarantine because he's already with the team. And when he was hired three years ago, uh, the, the rumors going around were that he was basically the heir apparent. So whenever Julian was finally going to be let go, Ducharme was going to just step up and take the reins. So for all those reasons, this hiring makes sense. And as I mentioned with the interim tag, you're right, Treg. Uh, it's his job to lose. Bergevin even said that. He said that from the moment, this is my guy. Uh, and it's, He's got the full season. It's up to him if he keeps the job, which is essentially what you just said. So all that being said, I'm expecting to see out of a team with Ducharme, maybe not in the first game, but over time, a more aggressive team, a return to those first 10 games. Because the uh, the rumor is, uh, Chantal Maccabé brought this up uh, on radio t- this morning, after the firings became known, those that style of play was pushed by Ducharme. And then when they started to have small issues and they lost that game to Ottawa, Julian took over and he tried to tighten up the team defensively. So I'm expecting to see a more aggressive forecheck, a more aggressively offensive team. Uh, and because of the firing, I do think we're going to see a little bit more jump in their legs. So we might see a couple of uh, good, really good, solid games, maybe even a couple of wins before things start to peter out again and things settle down. 
but it'll take, I think it'll take a couple of weeks before we see what Ducharme's uh, rejigs to the system are going to bring. Uh, Matt, uh, what, what do you think? So, uh, so Bergevin added during his press conference that um, he wanted to give Julian and Mueller the chance to correct these deficiencies and practices. But um, he noticed during the three games coming out of the break that it just wasn't happening. So it kind of made this decision a little bit easier to make. And he said that the hardest thing to watch was the team regressing from one playing with pace and to its identity to chasing our tail, chasing the puck and not being in sync. Um, you, you, you brought up the fact that um, Ducharme was his choice, quarantine or no quarantine. And uh, I like that because it bring and, and he, and he also said when asked, um, I think Bob McKenzie asked the question, are you going to be, uh, are you going to be interviewing any other coaches throughout the season? And 100% he said, no, he said, is Ducharme's um, team right now? And we'll see how it goes. We're not going to be uh, talking to any other coaches. So for me, if I'm Ducharme, that's going to bring some, that's going to, it'll put a little bit of pressure on me because it'll say, you know, this is my time to shine. Like I've worked so hard to get here. It's my time to shine. Let's do this. And at the same time, it's a little bit off of him, knowing that he doesn't have anybody knocking at the door, trying to take his job. So um, I expect the same thing. I expect them to return more to that high octane offense. And the fact that, um, he has a relationship with some of the some of the players that are already in the system, and he had that with them when they were younger. Um, you know, he was the uh, he was the head coach of um, the Halifax Mooseheads when they went on their tear. When they had Jonathan Drouin and McKinnon, and they won like every game that year. They won like fifty one games or whatever the hell it was. Won the Memorial Cup. Um, he was also with the Montreal uh, Juniors when, with uh, Jake Allen and Xavier Ouellette, and he was uh, coached during the um, during the World Juniors with uh, with Victor Mete. So, not only has he seen these players in the NHL as an assistant coach, he's seen them at the junior levels. And when he was brought into the Canadian system, he was really sought of, uh, or he was really. Um, um, sought after let's just say that and a lot of people as as you mentioned thought that he was going to be the apparent heir to the throne when ultimately julian was either let go or retired and um i think he's going to bring he's going to be a, a fresh voice um I, I i can see good things um i'm for me i'm looking forward to seeing what um how the how the power play is going to develop how the pk is going to look and how he's going to roll his four lines if he's going to give guys like Cuck and Emmy a little bit more, um, a little, you know, a little bit longer leash, let's just say that maybe give him some more offensive tools to his wings. And um, as, as Treg said, how's Carey Price going to re- respond to this and how's the team going to look overall? It's, it's something to look forward to, but as you guys both said, expect a game or so for them to get into this um, new system. We might see some gaps in play. We might see some people out of position. It's all things that are going to happen when you're transitioning into new systems under a new coach. So obviously, am I going to want to see them win? Absolutely. Am I going to be down the coach's throat if they don't win tomorrow night against Winnipeg? No. Right. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt that he's going to take the time to, uh, implement his systems have the players learn those systems and then we'll see how the product changes on the ice it's kind of unfortunate oh sorry blaine it's kind of unfortunate that bergevin 
waited the week long break to fire him after the week. I, I know why he said, all right, I just want to see if they're going to take this week and work everything out in practice. If he would have done it before, it would have given Desharm that whole week to say, here's my system. However, if he was pushing for the offensive style of the game in the first 10 games, then the players kind of already know what his system's kind of going to be like. So if that's the case, it shouldn't take him too long. I'm not expecting this big 10, 12 game win streak to happen afterwards. As a matter of fact, I'll be happy if they're a little bit 500 over the next four, five, six games, you know, like a couple, you know, like I'm not, I'm not expecting a miracle. However, as the, it progresses, I want that 500 to move to a 600, maybe to a 700 and then kind of have an even, even out. Cause I mean, they're not in a horrible spot. They're still in fourth three point or three or four points ahead of uh, Calgary. So it's not like they're outside looking in they're inside trying to stay. And, and, and they're only three points out of second place. So it's not like they're, you know, in a terrible position. Yeah. Now um, one thing that I think uh, fans need to keep an eye on. And uh, I was talking to Grant McCagg on his pregame show for recruits today. And he brings up a good point. Um, when Ducharme was the head coach in, in uh, Halifax, and you and I, Treg, saw this, he relied heavily on 16-year-old players, uh, Fukali, McKinnon, Drouin. And that team was able to come from behind down 0-3 and beat Quebec. And then they went on a pretty good run in that playoff. The following year, they, when they a little bit more experienced, they went on and won the Memorial Cup. What I think fans could expect to see is a coach that relies on his talent, not just veterans. So guys like Suzuki and Kotniemi are going to be given a little bit more leash, I think, in the next few games. We're going to see that. Um, guys like Romanov. We'll, we'll probably see experiments of Romanov moved up onto a top pairing or, or playing with uh, with Shea Weber, uh, even if it's four or five, six uh, shifts in a game, change it up, you know, maybe uh, after a penalty kill, it's him and Weber out there so that Romanov can give that mobility that's missing that Sherratt doesn't provide on that left side. And moving Sherratt down and letting Kulak play with him a little bit, kind of just shifting things around and, and giving a little bit more leeway to their offense not relying so heavily on Deneau in every situation when he is just not scoring or defending. That's what I think we're going to probably see. I, I think my biggest takeaway from this and the, the issue I had, and I should have brought it up in the Ottawa series was the best defensive line, which is Deneau's line could not get out of his own zone. Yeah. It was the worst line in the last three games, defensive wise. And again, I'm hoping to see from Ducharme and I'm expecting from Ducharme is exactly what you said, Blaine. He's going to play the guys who are the skilled players that he's not going to care if they're a veteran or not. You're my skilled players. He's going to shorten benches. Yeah. Like Bergevin went on or uh, Julian. Oh, I got four lines. I can put them out against anyone. I don't want you putting Evanson's line out when you're down by a goal with two minutes to play. I don't want that line out there. I don't yeah. want Deneau's line out there at this point. 
I want Suzuki's and I want Cotton Yami's line out there. Why? Because they have the speed and the skill to put the puck in the net. Right? Yeah. Anyone who's watched uh, Team Canada when Ducharme was the head coach, he made a lot of in-game adjustments. Yeah. Did tons of line matching. He switched his lines around. He would change guys on the lines based on the scenario they were going out to play. They're up a goal. Well, he'll put a guy out who can play offensively, but he'll put his defensive specialist on the wing. He'll move a centerman over to kind of help out in case there's a couple, uh, you know, he has to worry about a face-off. He, he's a strategist in game. And that's something that Julian didn't really have that type of aptitude. He, he was kind of, here's my plan. Oh shit. They figured it out. What do I do? Hey, Dom, help. No, you know what? I don't like your idea. Never mind. <laughs> that was basically what happened. And I mean, Dom is a very mix and match. He, he'll see what the other line is. He'll match lines. He'll, he'll do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. He may not match line for line. He might match players against that line. Hey, you know what, Anderson? That guy playing against you, is you're twice his size. You're going to go out on this line so you can walk all over that guy and probably get a goal. Yeah. Um, you're probably going to see Mete more. If I'm being honest, I think you might even see Mete in the lineup more. Or Flurry. And I don't know why I'm bringing Mete up in a positive way so much. But uh, <laughs> we have been away for a while. So, yeah. So, um, you had time to reflect on what great player he is. But that, I mean, I think you're going to see a different team. Actually, I, I don't think you're going to see a different team. I think you're going to see a team more like what we saw in the first 10 games, is, is what you're going to see. A little yeah. bit more push. A little bit more push, a little bit more forechecking, a little bit more aggressiveness. Not because I and and we've talked about this before on a show. Montreal seems to get into that rhythm under Julian, where okay, let's sit back. Oh, we're up by a goal. Sit back. Oh, we're down by two goals. Sit back so they don't score another goal. You know, everything was always sit back. Let's. Well, Bergeron even brought this up during his press conferences. He was asked about. Um, about the amount of penalties that they've been taken. He said, that's something they've definitely got to address. And there's a difference between playing an aggressive style and then taking stupid penalties. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot of, it's, it's, it's been a lot of that this year and they've, there's been some calls that shouldn't have been called against them, but um, there's, you know, that's a, that's a league wide thing. Yeah. Far too I, many that should have been called. That's right. That's right. I, I like Desharm's comment on penalties where they said, what are you going to do about the power play? And he said, it's hard to practice the power play when you don't get any. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was a, uh, a shout out there to, to, to the refing. Maybe, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. But the, uh, one, the one thing that pissed me off is the first question that was asked. And he said, uh, there was a question that was asked. I don't remember who asked it, but it said, uh, you know, do you think the bar has been set too high by Mark, bar, by Mark Bergevin? He said, if the bar is too high, we're in the wrong sport. And I think that was a, a great answer right off the bat to say, like, first of all, like, give me a, give me a chance. And, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's move on. Let's ask, let's, let's ask a little bit better question. But a lot of them were about his preparedness and he, um, you know, even though he is a uh, uh, more of a quiet, reserved guy, at least that's what we've seen, um, he was pretty quick with his answers. And he said, you know, we need more puck support, working together to give the guy with the puck more options, which we've seen. It's either lately it's been a one and out. Like if the guy, if the guy going up the ice doesn't have anyone to pass it to, it's either a shitty shot on net 
or he forces the play. He also said in another question that he feels prepared. He said at school, when you're prepared, you're not, you're not nervous for the, uh, about the exam. And I thought that was a really good way to answer a question as well. He also, um, you know, everyone said congratulations to him, which obviously you're going to do. I feel great that he's going to get this opportunity. However, he's taken it with a grain of salt. And he said, if I had written a script, it'd be different. I'm losing two colleagues and two great people. Adding that he grew as a coach from serving with Julian and Mahler for almost three years. And I, and I, and I can see that. And it wasn't like a yay me moment. There wasn't a big smile on his face and, you know, I'm the coach of the Canadians now. Like, you know, he, he knows that there's a lot of work to do. He's going to address the team. And um, he said, like, he's not going to tell the media what he's going to tell the players. You'll see the product at the end on the ice. And I can say, and I, and I, and that's what we're going to see. I will say this. He did kind of say that, uh, and I don't know if this was a shot at uh, Julian or just trying to say how their styles differ, but he did say, I like to work with my whole staff on correcting things that, uh, that are wrong. Like I like to work with everyone. Like I like to know a players, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. That way it makes me better, you know, suited to, to, to do with them what I need to do. And I I don't think that was a shot at Julian, like in a, in a, in a rude way. I think basically what he's saying was Julian had a system. You're playing in this system. We've, we've mentioned this many times over the past four years on this show. He has a system. You either play in the system or you don't. He's basically saying, I have a system. However, I can work my system around what makes you a better player. That's right. Because in the end. Yeah, exactly. And that's the difference between old school versus new school. Yeah. Like, I mean, you got a guy like Druin, who I'm sorry, he's kind of took Julian's system and has been working with it because he's playing a good 200-foot game. Um, But you can take a guy like Druin, make him more free. Hey, Druin. You know, don't be scared to shoot then. Don't be, you know, and that's a big issue, I think, too, with guys like Drew and, and stuff like that is they're, they don't want it. They're looking to pass because they don't want to shoot. They don't want to miss. They don't want to mess up. They don't want to have the no belly pad. So, uh, <laughs> um, and I think that's going to change under Dom. I think Dom's going to give the players a little bit more freedom because that's how skilled players work. Matthews and McDavid score the way they score because the coach says, Hey, you know what to do. Go out and do it. Not yeah, this systems. Is... His system is basically when you're inside the blue line, you play defense. Once yeah. you're out of the off of the defensive zone, do whatever. Yeah. That's, that's what's going to happen. Make it work. Yeah. And that's what he did in Halifax. I mean, Blaine, you yeah. were there that McKinnon and Druin and uh, uh, what's, Ferk, they did well there because he basically said, you guys have the skill to do this. Just go out and do it. They played yeah. Nick Ehlers, played under him too, right? Yeah. 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 So, Ehlers, I mean. Ehlers excelled. Yeah. And uh, that's just, and, and again, people of Twitterverse and all over the place who wanted Gerard Gallant hired tomorrow, uh, He's going to lose games. He's probably might even lose a couple games in his first few games. Give it time. Players got to adjust. So, so for, for me on this, just really quick, as I know we're starting to run out of time yeah. here. Uh, my, my take on that is we're seeing a coaching change with a team that is already at a NHL franchise. We're not looking at a team that 
well, you just fired your coach because you're on a long losing streak. We've already given up in your bottom six and most of your bottom and most of your top six are fringe, you know, fringe NHL players and you've already given up. So I'm, I'm happy that he's going to be given the tools to succeed right away. And I, I truly hope that they can go back to that winning formula that they had at the start of the year and not even, not even winning games, just that level of effort and the, and, and just the consistency in their play. Yeah. I think we're going to see the joy of the game come back a little bit. They seem to be going through the motions. Um, also when, whenever a GM makes a coaching change like this, it always wakes the team up, uh, especially one that's got some decent leadership because they realize, Oh crap, someone lost a job because we just didn't perform. Um, so that makes them redouble their efforts. And I want to be very clear here. Uh, we're not reveling in Claude Julian and Kirk Muller's firing. Both are excellent men. They're good, kind people. Uh, I know Claude myself. He is, he is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He's very generous. And everyone who has ever talked to him or ever met him will agree that he is the kind, he is one of those nice people that you're just happy to know. So uh, it's sad that someone that nice lost his job, but no NHL coach is hired thinking they're not going to get fired. The time was going to come. Unfortunately, it came mid season and not, you know, in a retirement or something along there, his contract was up. And so it's sad that we lost those two, but at the same time, there's a, re, a renewed excitement around the team. So hopefully that, uh, that negative energy that Weber was talking about, that new excitement kind of gets back into the room and we see those, that team from the start of the season. And, and start, in, Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, and in better news about ex-coaches of Montreal, Mario Tremblay said yesterday that if they lost to the Ottawa Senators last night, he'd retire from television, so... Yay! We're, we're all waiting for that to happen. <laughs> Sadly, uh, PJ Stock will be hired in his place. Wow. Yeah, probably. <laughs> He's already there, isn't he? Not full-time. Oh, okay. No, I joke. I... I I've met PJ a few times. He's 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 good. He's 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 a good guy. It's just he's the sometimes Sid he likes the troll. French. He's the Sid Sixero. Yeah, uh, speaking. Yeah, yeah, I'll bring up Sid Sixero yeah. really quick because yeah. I have I have his quote here as well. <laughs> and you know what? This is this is nothing but clickbait. And for a, for a guy that is moving on to going to host breakfast television soon, can't come soon a, enough. Right. It's not soon enough. Exactly. And he has really opened his mouth a few too, too many times for my liking in the last little while. And you know what, this is just, you know, I don't get paid to do this. I'm a fan. Okay. I got a full-time job. I don't work for Sportsnet. I don't work for TSN or anything like that. However, the shit that you're putting out, like it's goddamn clickbait and you can, you know, you can be better. Don't leave, don't leave behind Sportsnet with bullshit like this following you, because I'm going to say the quote and it, it, we all know that this is, this is absolute horseshit. What he said, and this is his quote. This is his, well, this is his tweet. He said, Claude Julian who had heart surgery last year and is technically high risk yet still agreed to coach during a global pandemic, just got fired 18 games into the season. We know this has nothing to do with that. 
and this was clickbait and it worked and it got a lot of people fired up. And the only thing I'm going to say is like, be, you know, be better. We, we know like, and, and, and I really wish someone else from the hockey community would step up or someone within the media would step up and say, you know, you can't say this kind of shit, but it's not going to happen because he's part of the Toronto sports fucking league or whatever the hell you want to call it. And he can, he can say and do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. So it's Steve Simmons levels of stupid. absolutely. That's just, that's just trolling at a whole new level. And you know what? Good luck with breakfast television because we won't have to hear that kind of shit from me again. Stick to, just, st- stick to reporting about the Leafs. It's what you love to what you love to do so much. Just talk about the Leafs and, and leave the Canadians talk to other people. Uh, Sid Sixer is just looking for attention. That's all he ever did on uh, Tim and Sid, and that's all he's going to do on Twitter now. It's, he's, Steve Simmons is the same way. They just look for attention. They're they're uh, well. Simmons is a has been reporter that's working in the Toronto Sun. That's see up until the point that I relevant. brought that that you brought his name up. I went through almost the whole show without swearing at all. <laughs> and then just in that, I threw out quite a few. I didn't throw out the worst, but it's just it's it's so it's just so disheartening. It's disappointing like, to see that kind of trash out there because people work so hard to get to the levels that they're working at now. Yeah. People, people who deserve to be at those levels that aren't quite there yet. Mm -hmm. And then these guys are handed these positions and left there because they're in Toronto. That's right. And you've got some, and you've got some fantastic people that have been let go. Exactly. And yeah. And and he has a a bit of a cult following too. So, I mean, Tim and Sid was a successful show. So now Sid can just think he can say whatever the hell he wants because it, well, yeah, Sid was just there for comic relief, I guess you could say. Um, he, I, I stopped watching it because Sid just got on my nerves. But anyway, what do you pretty do? much when I, I we mean, get our when we get our own show, we'll uh, we'll, we'll we have our own up. show. I meant <laughs> on Sportsnet Montreal. I don't know. We'll never yeah, get no, that's there, never going to happen. But in, at least at least here. We and, and we 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 have our fun. We have we say dumb shit sometimes, but we're not out there purposely trolling other fan bases just to get clicks. That's very true. And I'm not saying we're better than these people. Because let's be honest, we're not, but it's you should be held at a higher standard. You should be you're if you're in the if you're in the spotlight, you should be held to a higher standard. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And you put you put something on on the internet, it's out there forever. You, right. It reflects you. So think ahead a little bit. Don't you don't need to troll. So uh, I think I think we'll just end the show here. Um, sure. I think we've covered enough. We've ranted. We raved. Like uh, I don't know. Sound, it sounds good to me. You got something else there, Matt? Yeah, I just want to say thanks to all of our followers for um, for tuning in yet, yet again. Um, the show wouldn't be anything without you guys uh, and your support. Um, wherever you're watching or wherever you're listening, um, just remember we're on we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're now on YouTube, which you sh- you maybe you're watching right now. Um, you know, tell your friends. You know, uh, you know, listen in your car on the way to work. Hopefully, we're putting out a good product. Uh, we'll put a smile on your guys' face, and you'll be coming back for more, and you'll tell people about this show. 
Uh, we're looking forward to um, some future guests that we're going to have on the show. Uh, we're always we're always out there. We're always talking to different people to have them on to switch things up from just seeing our mugs. And uh, I said, we appreciate your guys' support. So thank you so much. And, uh, you know, for three military guys to uh, have a show and to be able to uh, have, you know, people on the show like Eric Engels and, uh, and John Liu and uh, any, you know, Craig Button, all those kind of guys. And, and, you know, you see them on TV afterwards and you're like, you know, I was just in his living room or I was this or I was this. It just as a fan, it makes you, it makes you happy. And I just want to thank everyone again. Um, why are so, you in his, li- why are you in their living rooms? Like, do they know you're there? Yes. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I, yes. I'll just say All yes. Right. <laughs> so thank you everyone for your support. Uh, I'd like to just, uh, I'd like to reiterate that. And uh, please remember if you were talking about it, so are we. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. <laughs>